We are now in session number five in our series of studies on the book of Philippians entitled Unstoppable Joy, looking at the theme of living as a disciple in these uncertain times. And in this chapter, Paul is giving us some uh, very specific practical tips, if you were to say, on how we can have joy in our lives in all circumstances. Whatever happens in the future, we don't know what's going to happen, but whatever will happen in the future, how can we make sure that we will still have unstoppable joy? And in these uh, in, uh, nine verses, you know, the first nine verses of uh, chapter 4, Paul is actually dealing with six topics that can be loosely called as Christian attitudes. Okay? In other words, if these are the attitudes that we have in our minds, if we have formed these attitudes before something happens in our lives, then we will still have unstoppable joy. Because what we have put into our minds is going to control what we are going to do. Action is controlled by conviction. And whatever is on the inside will show up on the outside sooner or later. Individuals who get flustered when you know, certain situations come into their lives, it's because over a period of time, they have put all those doubts and questions into their minds. Will God really be with me? Will everything go good for me? Will God send something wrong into my life? And when you have those questions and fears about God, you will find when that particular situation does happen, you've already had those questions, those attitudes have already been formed in your mind, doubts have already been you know, circulating in your mind, and when that which you feared, if you were to say, happens, then you say, oh, I knew it, I knew it. This is how God is going to treat those people who love Him. But if on the other hand, you are able to have these sound attitudes. The scripture tells us you know, in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. In other words, what you are going to feed into your minds today on the basis of the truth of God's word, will help you to have unstoppable joy during the uncertain times and situations that would happen in our lives. But if on the other hand, you filled your minds, not with faith, but with fear, what will happen? When those situations come into your life, you will get all fear fearful, all flustered up, and all depressed as well. So let's look at these six attitudes that we must have that Paul mentions to us in this final chapter to the church at Philippi. Chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. These are his concluding words, okay? Concluding short thoughts, concluding short uh, messages. 
So he says, therefore, if you want to have joy in the midst of any circumstance you go through, key is stand firm. Stand firm. The call to stand firm refers to a soldier staying faithfully at his post no matter what happens around him. Let the enemy attack. The soldier's orders are very clear. What? Run away from the scene? No, no. Stand firm. Stand firm. And if you notice, this command to stand firm is re-emphasized plenty of times in Scripture by Paul himself when he writes, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, stand firm, let nothing move you. Or in the passage of putting on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, he says, having done everything to stand. Or when he's writing to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, stand firm and hold on to the teachings we passed on to you. So why does Paul repeatedly to any church that he's writing, he's saying, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Why? Because we can definitely give in to the tactics of Satan when uncertain times situations happen in our lives, we may lose hope, we may lose heart. Paul knows about that. And as a result, he says, hey guys, make sure no matter whatever happens, you're a soldier. And a soldier never abandons his post. A soldier stands firm under the enemy attack, recognizing, hey, I'm not going to give up or given. I'm going to stand firm. This is a mindset that we must have, a mindset that will say that no matter what happens, I am not going to give up on God. It is like when two people get married, okay? If when they get married or before they get married itself, if they say, if things don't work out, we will divorce, hey, that marriage is not going to succeed. But if, on the other hand, when they get married, they will say, look at divorce should never be in our thoughts whatsoever. It is not an option. It is not something that we can opt out of the relationship. We are committed to stay together, to stand firm. No matter what happens, we will work through this together. Then what happens? That marriage not only survives, but will thrive. That is what God is saying. Stand firm under whatever situations. Now, whether it is the routine, mundane things of life, stand firm. Whether it is the onslaughts of the enemy, stand firm. This is a mindset that we must have in our minds. No matter what happens, I am going to stand firm in God, that God is in control. If you have that attitude, would you have joy? Definitely, definitely. Secondly, <clears throat> in verses 2 and 3, he speaks about settling differences in relationships. Okay? He speaks about two individuals, okay? Yodia and Sinteki. We don't know what the problem was. In fact, Paul doesn't even mention the problem. The only thing that he does mention is that they were believers because he says their names are written in the book of life. It is interesting what their name means. Yodia means sweet smell. And Sinteki means friendly. Imagine, sweet smell and friendly didn't get along together. Oftentimes that can happen, isn't it? You may have some sweet sounding names or you may have some sweet sounding relationships. You seem to be friendly on the outside, but internally 
Every time you come across that person, you may be raging inside, or you say, I, have, I want to have nothing to do with this person. You see that person coming in one direction, you go the other way. You are not living in harmony together. <coughs> what does Paul do over here? He doesn't focus on the problem or the, on the fight that they have been having. Rather, he is saying, hey, both these two individuals, I'm asking you, please settle your differences. Because if there is a, a relationship barrier, can you have joy? Again, whether it's husband and wife at home or whether it's two people in the church fellowship, if there is barrier in relationships, that's not going to be healthy relationships. And if there's no healthy relationships, that's not going to be any joy. And when you know that times are uncertain, you don't know what's going to happen in the future, you better settle things now so that you don't have any regrets later on. Judson Edwards, in his book, What They Never Told Us About How to Get Along with Each Other, gives us six rules for a healthy relationship. And these are simple tips that he mentions in this book. And these are uh, tips that we can use in our marriage relationships to help our relationship to become stronger and healthier. This can also be used for relationships in our, within the fellowship. Six <coughs> tips. <coughs> the first one is agree more, argue less. Agree more, argue less. The more one person will say, no, I am right and he is agreeing or he is arguing about it, you will find you know, things are not going to work out. You know? But be willing to see the other side and agree to what the other person is saying. So listen more. That's the second one. Talk less. Talk less. Now, for healthy relationships, listening in communication is very important, isn't it? Communication is not talking. <laughs> communication is listening. So a healthy relationship when a, when a, is built up when you listen to the other individual. <clears throat> Number three, produce more, advertise less. Instead of talking about what you did and what you're planning to do, do it. Let your actions speak louder than words. The fourth one, confess more, accuse less. Instead of pointing a finger at the other person and saying, you have done this, be willing to admit what you have done wrong. That will build up relationships very speedily. Fifthly, laugh more and fret less. Instead of pouting, instead of you know, feeling down and out, have a healthy, merry heart, the Bible tells us, isn't it? That's good like a medicine. A healthy relationship is a happy, laughing relationship. And the fifth one is give more, receive less. Don't think about how much you can get out of the relationship, but think about what you can give to the relationship. These five simple tips would help to build up your marriage relationship. It would also help you to build up relationships in the fellowship. So even this morning, if you find out that there are some differences with your spouse, put these tips into play. If you find out there are some problems that are happening with an individuals in the fellowship, put these things into place. Settle these differences. Because once you settle these differences, then you have a clear heart inside of you. And when you have this clear attitude inside of you, there's joy in your heart. There are no regrets. You know? There is joy in your hearts. That's why the third one, 
the third attitude he says resolve to rejoice resolve to rejoice this is paul's third command to us it's very simple he says rejoice in the lord always and he doesn't stop there he says again i will say rejoice the command to rejoice you know is the only one that is repeated why is this command given twice because oftentimes we say how can i rejoice in this particular situation now james when he speaks about count it all joy when you go through diverse testings you know the word that is used there for count it all joy is to dance around jump around you know with joy and dance you know now you may say hey when i'm going through such testings how can i dance how can i jump and twirl with joy but this is a command that is given this is a command that is given but when the command is given to rejoice it is not just put a you inside you are groaning you know but put a happy face on you no 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 this is not speaking about that happiness depends on happenings but joy depends on knowing the lord that god is in charge remember read out this book of philippians where was paul when he was writing it he was chained between two guards and chained between two guards he is writing and saying hey rejoice again i say rejoice okay maybe he is looking at you know one guard and saying rejoice the other hand which is also chained to another guard and says again i say rejoice in other words his circumstances are not you know he is not bound to his circumstances even though physically is bound in you know, chains but his heart is still free and as a result he is able to say look here even though i really don't enjoy being in prison i know god is in control i know god is in control and i can rejoice knowing that he is in charge let me give you a small exercise even right now take one or two minutes even immediately to think about 10 reasons that you have this morning to rejoice which is not dependent on your circumstance okay 10 reasons that you have to rejoice this morning that is not dependent on your circumstance what do i mean by not dependent on circumstances it is i am healthy this morning i can breathe this morning you know all those are circumstances 10 things note down which is not dependent on your circumstance okay take a little time just for a moment to sit and either think it out write it on your you know, notepad or put it on your mobile whatever but take a few minutes just to stop for a moment and to rejoice for your life it could be sometimes even the negative things that are happening you know but things that you can say this morning i thank god that god is in charge in this 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 area okay <clears throat> fourthly ask god for a gentle spirit ask god for a gentle spirit in verse 5 it says let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near the lord is near now this gentle spirit can be translated in different different ways some translations will say let your moderation be known or you know your fair mindedness be known or let your mildness be known one writer actually calls it the inner calmness the inner calmness and in his and a message translation puts this verse like this he says make it as clear as you can to all you meet 
that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Working with them and not against them. What does this basically mean? When things are not going your way, when you know a person is doing some things against you, okay, you have still that inner calmness, okay. In other words, you know, when you feel the mercury rising or the anger rising, and you realize that very soon you may say something or do something that you will regret later, that's the time you say, Lord, let my mind be calm. Let me not say or do anything that will upset you or I will regret later. The inner calmness, that attitude, the scripture is telling us this should be seen by all who know us. Okay? That is how we can have joy. Now, you'll find individuals who have this inner calmness. No matter what is happening in their life, no matter whatever things people have done or said to them, there still is an inner calmness. But there are others who, as soon as something goes wrong, they get so flustered up, they get so angry. And sometimes they may think and say that, you know, about what has happened many years down the line because it is still troubling them inside. It is still eating them up inside. Will you have joy then if there is bitterness in your heart? Not at all, isn't it? So Paul is saying, if you want to have joy in the midst of adverse, uncertain circumstances, ask God to give you a, a gentle spirit, a calmness in your inner being. How does that calmness come in? When you are not focusing your attention on your situation, but you are focusing your attention on God who is in charge of the circumstances. That is why in verses 6 and 7, he tells us the next attitude, pray about everything. Pray about everything. You know, this verse starts off with, do not be anxious about anything, but instead pray about everything. Don't be anxious, pray about everything. In other words, these two things cannot go together. You cannot worry and you cannot uh, pray together at the same time. If you are praying, then you are saying, Lord, I am not depending on me, I am depending on you. If you are worrying, what you are saying is, if I don't do something about it, something bad is going to happen. I am in charge, I am God in this situation. That's what worry is basically saying. But prayer is saying, Lord, I am not in charge of this situation. You are in charge and I am bringing it to you, Lord. That's an attitude that we are expressing. Do you know that you know, most of the time when we you know, spend our time worrying, it is basically emotionally wasted energy? There was a professor in a university who studied the things people worry about. And this is what his research you know, found out. His research gave these results. 40% of the things we worry about never happen. 30% concerns the past. 12% are needless worries about health and 10% are about petty issues. Only 8% are legitimate concerns. That means 92% of your worry time is wasted energy. So, when you're thinking about the uncertain times ahead, do you sit and worry? I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen to my children. I wonder what's going to happen to my spouse. I wonder what's going to happen to my job. I wonder what's going to happen to my marriage. You know, instead of sitting and worrying about all that unnecessarily, 
that's not going to give you joy. What will give you joy? Jesus, you know, in everything by prayer. So Paul gives us over here in this passage just some three practical tips, tips again for those who worry and worry and worry all the time. He says, first of all, pray about everything. Okay. He says, in everything, give and you know, pray. In everything by prayer and supplication. In everything. Not just in those things that you think you cannot handle. Okay, so you ask God. No, in everything. In everything. You know, pray about everything. Secondly, pray with thanksgiving. He said, can I thank God for this thing that is happening in my life? Yes, thank God, because God is in charge. He has allowed that to happen. Pray with thanksgiving and present your request to God. Pray with an expectation that God is hearing your prayer. Now, that's what we need to do if you want to have joy. When you are faced with the unexpected situations, unexpected future, instead of sitting and worrying about what's going to happen, submit it to God. You say, God, you are in charge. I know you are in charge, so as a result, whatever happens, whatever comes by, you know, to me has been sanctioned by you, passed through you, ordained by you, so I don't have to worry. You would also look after me. And as a result, you give thanks to God with a full expectation that he hears your prayer. And when you take your burdens to the Lord and put it at his feet, what does he do? He replaces our worries with something that is much greater. What does verse 7 tells us? Then God's peace will guard our heart. The peace that passes all understanding, the inner calmness, the joy in the midst of sorrow, the joy in the midst of uncertain situations. How does a person get that inner calmness? The peace that God gives. How does a person get the peace that God gives when he comes before God to him in prayer? The word that is used there for guard your heart is a military metaphor for soldiers guarding the city gate from the inside. And when you and I pray, God's peace becomes a guard on our heart, protecting us from the cares of the world that otherwise could destroy us. When our hearts are at peace, we don't worry. When our hearts are at peace, then we have joy. When our hearts are at peace, no matter what our situation is going to come in the future, we can be relaxed. And that is what unstoppable joy is all about. Then in verses 8 and 9, Paul gives us this next practical step. He says, think holy thoughts. He started out saying, whatever you are thinking, that is what you are. That is what you become. Verse 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. So Paul gives us a list of things that we can think about. In other words, he's giving us alternative. He says, your mind is filled with all these you know, anxious thoughts. Instead of those thoughts, think about these thoughts. <clears throat> Do you know that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts each day? That works out to three and a half million thoughts a year. And if you live to be 75, you will have over 26 million different thoughts. Okay, 
And when you think of just this morning, how many thoughts you have already got into your mind. Okay? So what you are feeding your mind with, that is what is going to lead either to an unstoppable joy or a totally worried mind. So Paul says, you know, since sin, the sin of worry starts with the mind, replace your anxious thoughts with these thoughts. And when he says over that, think about these things, the word that is used there, the tense that is used there for command is a continuous tense. In other words, he says, keep thinking about these things. Keep thinking about these things right throughout the day. Different thoughts are going to come into your mind. Okay, Fill your mind with these thoughts. Because as you fill your mind with these thoughts, replace anxious thoughts with thoughts of assurance, thoughts of goodness, thoughts of holiness, and uh, thoughts of peace into your mind, then the scripture tells us the peace of God will guard us, you know, will rule us, will give us unstoppable joy. So think of these you know, uh, uh, attitudes that the scripture has asked us to have even this morning. Six simple attitudes. Would this help to build up our relationship? Would this help to give us unstoppable joy in whatever situation? Definitely. So this morning, if in case your mind is filled with worries about the future, would you be willing even this morning to lay it all aside at the feet of the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what's going to be there in the future, but I know you're in charge of the future. Help me not to worry but help me have to have this unstoppable joy as I depend on you for the future. Then in verses 10 to 13, Paul speaks about how we can live contented lives in discontented times. Contented lives in discontented times. Now, <clears throat> everything that we need to be content is already there with us. Responsibility is for us to begin to capture it. Now, yes, these are discontented times, in which what I mean is, you know, these are not the best of times, you know, for a person to live in because we have so many things that are happening all around us, whether it's in the world, whether it's in the economics, whether it's in the political world, whether it's in the spiritual, spiritual world. There are a lot of things that are happening which we are not definitely happy about. We would always be saying, I wish it was different. And as we think about the future, there could be even more and more turbulent times. But in the midst of this turbulence, in the midst of these uncertainties, in the midst of all this discontentment, how can we be content? That's a practical thing, isn't it? You know? And that's what we read in these verses. Verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content. And in verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret of being content. In other words, contentment is not automatic, but it must be learned over time. It is not automatic. It has to be learned. And how do you learn it? Simple principle. Now, when a child is born, a child depends upon for the mother's milk. Then the child has to be weaned off from that and then put on maybe to a bottle feed. And then again, after that, it has to be weaned off from that into solid food. But when you notice, 
for the child to be weaned off from one stage to the other stage, it's a difficult thing for the child. If you have gone through it, the child may not be happy about it. Maybe as parents, you know, maybe the mothers sometimes are not happy about it. They still want to hold on. But process comes in when a child is weaned off from something in order to give the child something that is going to be much more helpful, much more solid for the child to mature. And that is what the principle is all about here. Learning to be content. Learning to be content. To be weaned is to have something removed from your life which you thought you couldn't live without. Okay? Which you thought you couldn't live without. And most of us living actually on the opposite principle. In our hearts, we think, I would be happy if only I had a new car, a new job, a bigger house, you know. And we realize life is not that simple, you know. And when we don't get some of those things, we can get frustrated. We can get frustrated. Why? Because we are still caught up with the material. God wants us <coughs> to be weaned off from the world. Sometimes we are not just <coughs> caught on with the world. We are wedded to the world. We are welded to the world. The world means everything to us. And God says, hey, I want to teach you something. Okay? I want you to learn contentment. That contentment doesn't thing happen with the things that you have right now. I want you to recognize that contentment comes in knowing me. And sometimes the Lord will put us through these uncertain times to wean off some of those things, you know, which we thought we really needed for survival. But God says, no, you don't need that. You, know, you don't need that. You need me. So ask yourself, what are the things that God has been trying to teach you by maybe removing some things in your life which you thought were essential for you? The child will say, that is essential for me. But the parent knows that, hey, look, yeah, you're not going to die without that. You know, you have to go to the next level. And sometimes we get stuck on that first level with the material and get so bogged down with that, that when it is taken off, we get discontented. No, no. God is wanting to, us to learn contentment. Contentment is not automatic. It has to be learned over time. Secondly, happiness depends on circumstances. Okay? But contentment comes from the confidence that we have in the Lord. Verse 12 tells us this very clearly. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And if in case you are not understood it, it says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, you know, what Paul is saying over here is, whether I have a good meal or whether I have no meal, okay? He says, I'm still content. Why am I content? Because riches are not the way for contentment, okay? Material things are not the way for contentment, you know. What he's saying, my contentment comes from my confidence in God. And that's the level that God wants us to go to so that we can have unstoppable joy. As long as we think that happiness is what is going to give us contentment, as long as we think the material things of life are going to give us contentment, then the Lord will say, hey, look, you need to learn contentment. How are we going to learn it? He removes some of those things from our lives to show us, hey, look, contentment does not happen with 
your happiness. Contentment does not come in because of what you have or what you don't have. Contentment comes because of your confidence in the Lord. Confidence in the Lord. And this contentment rests on two great truths. Two great truths. The first truth is that God has ordained every circumstance of my life. In verse 12, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. He says, how can I be content during discontent at times? He says, hey, let me tell you a secret. Okay? And we all want to learn the secret of success of somebody else, isn't it? So Paul is saying, let me tell you a secret. What's the secret? The secret is to learn this important truth that in whatever and every situation, God is the one who is in control. He is the one who has ordained it. He is the one who has allowed it. He is the one who has worked things out in my life that that particular situation is happening in my life. Now, if we know that God is in charge, you know, and we are willing to let God be God in our lives, then we are contented. But if we want us to be God, okay, and as a result, we are uh, maneuvering the circumstances in our lives so that the circumstances are good, contented, so that we will have joy. God says, hey, that's not going to work out. But as long as we take off our hands and say, Lord, you are in charge. Whatever happens in my life, contented times, discontented times, certain times, uncertain times, I know you are in charge. You are the one who would not allow anything to come into my life, which is not part of your will and purpose for my life. If you have that confidence in God, that God is the one who has ordained every circumstance in your life, then what will happen? You are going to be joyful. But if you are not really sure of that, okay, if you try to be God to control your circumstance and the circumstances is not favorable to you, what will happen to you? you will become very, very miserable, isn't it? You will become very miserable. So, contentment rests on these truth truths. Number one, that God has ordained every circumstance in my life. Now, it may be easy for us to acknowledge that when good things happen. You say, praise God that I got a new job. Praise God that I have you know, good health. Praise God for the healing that God has given me. But on the other hand, when things are not like that, when you don't have healing, when you have lost a job, you know, what happens then? Can you still be contented? Can you still say that God has ordained every circumstance in my life? This is why in verse 13, he says that God will give me the strength in every circumstance to do his will. Is that often a verse that we have quoted, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But text of this verse over here. This is not a self-help verse. This is not a motivational verse that Paul is giving us over here. He's saying, whatever circumstance comes my way, okay, even if it is a bad circumstance, a discontented circumstance, an adverse circumstance, I can do everything. I can be contented. How can I be contented in situations that are not favorable for me? Paul is saying, I can't do it. Why? Because it is God who gives me strength. It is God who gives me strength. So be careful that we don't use this verse sometimes like a, a magic formula to say, we can do it. We can do it. You know? 
It is like, you know, the motivational talk which says, you can, you can. So, yes, we can, we can. No, no, that's not what this passage is speaking about. This passage is speaking about acknowledging the God who is in charge of our circumstance and to be content even when things are going against us to say, I can do it. Why? Because God is the one who gives me strength. Because my focus is on God. This morning, this question. Content with what is off God has offered to you on your plate. Okay. It may not be a plate of goodies. It may be a plate of sorrow. Are you content? They say God is in charge. Yeah, you have the confidence that nothing has come into your life. You know, no circumstance has come into your life which is not part of his planning to wean you off into a total dependence on him. Have that contentment. You will not, never, I will say, you will never have unstoppable joy. Your joy will not be there. Maybe it will be in bits and pieces when things are going your way. But when things are not going your way, there will not be joy, but there will be only misery. Then in verses 13 to 23, you know, you have Paul's uh, speaking to us about the importance of giving, the importance of giving in order to have unstoppable joy. And this is the promise that God gives to us for these times. In verses 14 to 16, 14 to 16, he says, yes, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. So Paul is saying here, hey, I want to write you a thank you note. I want to say thank you to you because you have given to share in my troubles. Remember right in the beginning when we learned about how the church at Philippi was very dear to the heart of Paul. He had established this church in a, and over a period of time their bond had definitely increased. And in this particular uh, juncture when Paul is in prison they have sent in a, a gift through the hands of Epaphroditus. Okay? Now why did they give? They gave because they have received so much from Paul, from the church, you know, and from God himself. Their giving was because they have received. We give because God has given to us. We love because God has first loved us. God has blessed us so that we can give to others. And when we give to others, we receive a blessing and the gift goes on. That is what unstoppable joy is all about. You don't keep it to yourself. God has given me, so I give to others. God has given me this joy during these times, so I share this joy with others. God has given financially to me in these times, so I share it with others. That's the understanding of an unstoppable joy. Not the holding of what we have received, but it is the giving of what we have received. And as scripture tells us clearly, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Verses 17 and 18, he speaks about a gift received where he says, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. 
I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What is Paul saying over here? He's saying, I'm not saying that you know, I need this uh, you know, gift from you. Actually speaking, by your giving, you have received into your account. You have taken out from your physical bank account and given to me, but by so doing, you have actually deposited an, account, an, an amount into your heavenly bank account. Every gift was an investment into their bank account. And that's what the scriptural principle is, isn't it? We give not in order to receive, but we give because God has given to us. But in our giving, the scripture is teaching us, you know, God is looking at us in our giving and he says, okay, you know, I'm going to add to your heavenly account. You know, and it is good to store up heavenly bank accounts. It is good to add up accounts. Because all that we add in our earthly bank accounts, it's all going to perish. But what is going to be added to our heavenly bank account, it is what is going to survive and live on. So when we give, God is pleased because lives are changed, we are blessed. And in management terms, generous giving is a win-win proposition. Win-win means both sides are benefited, okay? So, there's a gift that God has given to us, so we give to others. Also, in the giving, we have also received. Then in verse 19 and 20, the scripture gives us this promise, you know, that God will reward us for it. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. This verse we have used plenty of times as a comforting verse for us or as an encouraging verse for others. James Montgomery Boy says that this may be the most, the greatest promise in all the Bible because it contains within it every other promise. It contains within it every other promise. There are three parts to this promise. First of all, there is the source of this promise. Well, Paul is saying, my God, my God. It's an unusual exp uh, expression because Paul could easily have said, and God will meet all my needs. Okay, or God will meet all your needs. But he's emphasizing that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of you know, Joshua, the God of history, the God who has done all these things in the past, he is my God. He is my God. Paul wants us to recognize when he says, my God, he wants us to remember that the same God who worked all the mighty miracles in the Bible is the same God who makes this amazing promise. Okay. So when he says, my God shall supply all your needs, he's saying, hey, you are living in uncertain times. You're wondering what's going to happen. He's saying the same God who fed the children of Israel. The same God who met the needs of the people. When they were hungry, God fed them, isn't it? You know? He says the same God is going to be. So that's the first expression. The source of this promise to say, my God will supply all your needs, you know, is God himself. 
Secondly, the statement of this promise. What does the statement say? Will meet all your needs. Will meet all your needs. Whatever you truly need, God has promised to supply. Whatever you need. You need forgiveness, he will abundantly pardon. You need more grace, his grace is sufficient for you. You need hope, God is your hope. Are you tired and about to give up? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Are you confused about the future? <coughs> the scripture tells us, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do you need a miracle in your life? The scripture tells us nothing is impossible with God. Are you worried about what may happen in the future? The scripture teaches us, fear not, for I am with you always. Fear not, I am with you always. Do you need salvation? The scripture tells us, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This promise is a very comprehensive promise. He will meet all your needs. So when you're thinking about the uncertain future, how can you have unstoppable joy? When you can hold on to this promise. The same God of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the God who has been with me so far, He's the one who's also going to be with me in the future. So why break my head? I can trust in Him. In the midst of whatever happens, I will have unstoppable joy because He has promised that He will meet all my needs. Then the third thing is the sufficiency of this promise the sufficiency of this promise, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This is God's way of saying there's never going to be a short supply. You can always come back. You can always come back. It is like you know, maybe a buffet meal that is spread. You can always come for a second helping. There's plenty. There's plenty. You don't really have to worry. It is like maybe a, a little child trying to drain the Indian Ocean you know, with a little bucket in his hand. Possible? Not at all, isn't it? Plenty more, plenty more, plenty more. And that's the promise that God gives to us. That God's love, grace, mercy, strength, favor will never run out. And if it never is going to run out, why should we be worried about the future? Why should we be worried about the uncertain times? You and I can have and should have this unstoppable joy because he promises, I will supply. Now, not a blanket statement or a blank check that says that it's, everything is going to be easy. Everything is going to be smooth. Not at all. The scripture is saying, in whatever circumstance you are going through, you can be content. Learn contentment. In whatever circumstance you are going through, hold on to the promise of God because his promise is true. His promise is sufficient. And as we build these things up into our mindset, as we fill our minds with these thoughts, then no matter what happens, we are still going to be joyful. We are still going to be joyful. And my prayer is, as we have gone through this book of you know, Philippians, that it would cause in our inner being to have, first of all, an inner calmness about the future. Not get agitated like the people of the world. Not get worried and fearful like the people of the world. 
but as children of the king, we would have that deep-seated assurance that God is in charge. As a result, we will have that unstoppable joy. That we will make this a daily habit in our lives to fill our minds with these thoughts so that when the negative thoughts, fearful thoughts, doubts come into our minds, we will remove these, replace them with these thoughts, and we will allow God to wean us off, to teach us these truths by taking away from us things that we see which very essential, dependent. God says, no, you don't need those. You need me. Ask God to teach us that true contentment. And as he teaches us, then we too, with confidence, can say, I have learned what it is to be content. I know God will supply. I know I can have joy in the midst of whatever will happen in the future. Let's bow our heads and pray together.